This morning we're going to begin um, a study of the Gospel of John. I have no idea how long uh, it will take us to study this whole uh, book. Um, I'm thinking it will take a while, as it took us 15 months to do the Gospel of Mark. So I'm quite sure it will take us a while to get through this. But it's a very worthwhile text uh, for us to study. Uh, I have discovered that it is quite uh, more doctrinally uh, significant than at first blush. Uh, it is full of the doctrine of grace um, as we come to study this. So if you return to the Gospel of John this morning, we're going to do uh, take a look at chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And um, I'm hoping that and aiming that as we uh, look at this text together, as we look at the Gospel of John together, that we would see Jesus afresh in our hearts and our minds, that the, the things that we take for granted that we know and understand about Jesus, that they would come to root and come back home to us uh, once again. So during our time this morning, we're going to begin by reading the passage. We'll pray, then we'll make some observations and applications along the way. And as we look at this uh, book this morning, John is going to introduce us to a person. He's going to introduce us to Jesus Christ. Uh, for us who know Him, uh, again, we will see Him afresh and hopefully see Him more fully. For those who don't, do not know Him yet, we desire that you would come to know Him in a saving way as you hear the Word of God this morning. And so, with everything, every relationship that we have, it begins with an introduction. And so this morning, I hope that we learn how and what we as individuals and as a church what we proclaim as we introduce people to Jesus. So let us pray. Father, as we come to this important book of the Bible, we ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see the fullness of who Jesus is. As we uncover Christ, help us to embrace the life that he has brought uh, to those for whom he died. Father, by grace, we ask that you would grant us eyes to see and hearts to believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. And that by believing, you would give us life and give life to dead souls. Father, empower us who have already encountered Christ by faith to be giving grace to walk in the light of Christ and help us to do so until he returns. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's begin the Gospel of John at verse 1, and we will go through verse 18 this morning. So in the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives, gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's word this morning. So how do you want to be known? How would you introduce yourself if you really wanted somebody to know you? See, you could go and tell them your name, but would you really be known? You could tell them what your occupation is, but they would only know what you do. Uh, They wouldn't really know who you are. You could tell them about your family background. You could tell them about your heritage, but would they know you? They would know where you came from, but they wouldn't know who you are. So if I wanted to introduce myself to you this morning in such a way as to be known, it might go something like this. I am prone to disobedience. My heart builds idols upon which to worship. I seek approval from the world and from my family. I often wander away from the truth. I am sometimes concerned with myself without regard to others. I am being made new. My life no longer belongs to me. I am growing in faith. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. By his death, I have been purchased from this world and my sin has been forgiven. God has given me grace to believe. By Christ's death, I have been reconciled to God. The wrath I deserve has been poured out on Jesus. I am loved of God. I am working out my salvation with fear and trembling. The glory of God has become my life's aim. In our message this morning, I desire to introduce to you Jesus Christ. But if we take a real assessment, that's who we are. That's who I am. Maybe not you. That's who I am. That's really telling somebody, if you want to know me, know this. Know this, that I am a sinner saved by grace. I am a sinner saved by grace, and I am loved of God. And God proved it. He proved His love by sending His Son. So the Apostle John here, who has penned this account, you know how he identifies himself, right? He's the disciple that Jesus loves. John's identity is that he is loved by Jesus. He doesn't declare his apostleship. I am loved by Jesus. That's who I am. Think about the Apostle Paul and what he would say. I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I am a slave to Jesus. If anybody had a reason to boast, it might have been Paul. But Paul says, no, I'm a bondservant of Jesus. John here, the Apostle, could have stated his apostolic authority and said, I am the Apostle John, a servant of God. No, he says, I am a disciple who is loved by Jesus. That is who I am. In this account, his concerns are that hearers would come to know Jesus. And John gives us this aim of this account in chapter 20. Why don't we turn there to verses 30 and 31 of chapter 20. Because this will give us the purpose as we go forward of the Apostle John's uh, introduction of the person of Jesus. Beginning verse 30 of chapter 20, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This account is written that you might believe that Jesus is the anointed one sent from God, the one who was and is needed for salvation. More than mere mere knowledge of the fact of Jesus, John's aim, John's desires is that hearers would come to know Jesus in an experiential way, in a saving way, and that through faith in knowing Jesus that they would have eternal life. That is the aim of my message this morning, and I couldn't help but think of this as I was studying. Who is sufficient for such things? I want you to know Jesus in a saving way, in an experiential way. Who is sufficient for such things? I want to make him known I am not sufficient for such things. And so again, before we dive in deeper, I would like to pray again. Father God, we do need your grace this morning. We need your Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us, to reveal him to us in in an experiential way. And for those who don't know Jesus in a saving way, I ask, Lord, that you would please reveal him. Reveal him through your word, through our time together this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question we have this morning, as we want to introduce Jesus, I want to ask you this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Let's look at the first five verses together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not anything was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning was the Word. And one of the most significant words in our passage this morning is a little word called was. A little word called was. The Greek word imai is translated was in English means a continuing action presently as it has always been in the past. Jesus never became the word of God. Jesus is the word presently as he always has been. Jesus was and is presently the pre-existing Word. He is the pre-existing One. And the Word was God. And the Word was with God. Well, as the Word was with God, the English translation doesn't do justice to this meaning. In the Greek, it is prosthonathion. The Word was with God means this. That the Word, Jesus Christ, is a distinct person, was and is face-to-face in an intelligent discourse and intimate relationship with the Father. The Word, then, is a person. It is not an attribute or an emanation from God. See, there's a oneness movement in the Pentecostal church. They would have you believe that God is one and not distinctly God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
They are in relationship one with another. And the word was God. Again, the Greek phrase will help us here, which is theos en hologos, which is to say that though of distinct personhood from the Father and the Spirit, the Word, the person of Jesus, is co-eternal with the Father. Jesus is co-equal with the Father. Jesus is God. This is a non-negotiable tenet of the Christian faith, brothers and sisters. This is our confession. This is a non-negotiable in our faith, that Jesus Christ is indeed God, who is distinct from the Father, but constant in relationship of the same essence. Do we get that? That he's not separated from God the Father. He is indeed God. So to say that Jesus is God is to, to declare this, that the truth about God then is knowable. If Jesus is God, God is knowable. God is knowable. To know Jesus is God's is to say that you can know what God is like. To know the Lord Jesus is to know God. There is no knowledge of God apart from knowledge of Jesus Christ. There is no knowledge of Jesus Christ apart from a knowledge of the Word of God, the Bible. God is knowable. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Again, this word was comes into play. Continuing in eternity past to the present and the future, Jesus was. Jesus is not the Father's plan B for the redemption of His people. Jesus was with God in creation. Jesus is co-equal with the Father in all things created from the beginning. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus never became the Word. He was the Word from the beginning. Verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus, the Word, as we know, and John will say later, is the way, the truth, and the life. Without the Word, there is no knowing. Without the way, there is no going. Without the life given by the Word in Jesus Christ, there is no living. The salvation of God's eternal life is illuminated and found in the person of Jesus Christ. As we look at verse 5, we see that this the light shines in the darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome it. The light of God has shone forth from the beginning of creation in the person of Jesus, and it is that light which still brings God's salvation in the dark, sin-sick, God-rejecting world that we live in today. Jesus was the light of God's plan of salvation, and by continuing action is the light that brings salvation to men today. The darkest place in the world, what do you think it is? We look at all the sin, sick things that are going on in our world, but the darkest place in the whole world that we live in is the darkness of the human heart. 
That is what he's getting at here when he says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Basically, the idea is overcome is probably not the best word here. The best word is apprehended it. The darkness of the human heart has not apprehended the light of God, did not take hold of it, did not apprehend it, couldn't do it. They had no power to apprehend the light that God was shining in the person of Jesus Christ. The human heart is the darkest place in the world. And the darkness of the human heart will not comprehend or apprehend the light of God without an intervention from God. That is what this, this verse actually gets at, is that the darkness hasn't overcome it, the darkness hasn't comprehended it, that if we are going to receive the light of Jesus Christ from God and salvation, God must act upon us. God must act upon us because the darkness of our heart cannot apprehend and comprehend the light of God on its own. See, to know Jesus is experiential and it's relational. Life and light are in Jesus, in the Logos, in the Word. The flesh is no help at all. God uses human agents who have been transformed by the light to testify uh, to Jesus of that light, to introduce Jesus that God would bring His chosen people to light. He uses human instruments to reveal the light, to introduce people to the light of God that those might come to a saving faith that God would bring His chosen people to the light and to life that is only found in Jesus Christ by grace. He uses human instruments to do that, to bring glory to God alone. And at the end of our message this morning, if you reject the light that has been exposed to you this morning because I, I hope and aim to expose Jesus to you, to introduce the light to you, and if you have been exposed to the light this morning, uh, you now are accountable. You're now accountable because the Word of God has been delivered to you. That the Word has been made flesh. The light has, has been uh, shown upon you. The light has been opened up. And if you reject Jesus this morning, you are accountable. And you who might reject Jesus this morning as the Savior today, who do you have to blame? You. You have only you to blame. You know why? I will tell you this. It's because I, Jeff McInnes, am a first-hand witness to the light. As a first-hand witness to the light, I have introduced you to the light of Jesus Christ, and therefore, you have no excuse. And next, in this passage, we look at the forerunner, the witness, the first witness who declared the coming of the light and the coming of light in Jesus. Let us look at verses 6 through 9 together. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about that light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. See, John the Baptist was sent from God to tell the truth as a first-hand witness to the light and eternal life revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. God used John the Baptist's proclamation and introduction of the coming Savior that through his message of Jesus, all that heard might have their dark hearts changed by God's saving 
light. There is no room for self-righteousness in the witness's testimony, is there? It is the light of salvation that comes from Jesus. John's testimony, his introduction of Jesus was that the true light, the only light by which anyone has or will ever come to salvation, is coming to you in the person of Jesus. Again, John's testimony, his introduction of Jesus is that the true light, Jesus, is the only light by which anyone has or anyone will come to salvation. It is coming to you in the person of Jesus Christ. It is coming to you in the Word, Jesus Christ. The second person of the Godhead. He is the true light. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, I want to look at the true light from this text, from Hebrews chapter 1. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. Long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature and upholds the universe by the word of His power. The Father has spoken by His Son the Word. The Father has spoken by His Son the Word, the co-creator, the co-eternal Jesus Christ. The true light that John introduces in our text is the radiance of the Father. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. Jesus the Word upholds the universe by the power of His deity. Jesus is God. Back to our text and verse 9 again, and I'm going to read through 13. I'm going to repeat verse 9 because it is connected to both 6 through 8 and connected to uh, this next section. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The message of the witness is the true light that is in Jesus. It's all about him. It's nothing about me. It's nothing about you. It's all about the salvation of God, and it is only found in the person of Jesus. The good witness to the light also testifies to the darkness of men. The faithful witness knows that the good news only becomes good news if you know what the bad news is and if you know just how bad the bad news really is. God has revealed Himself to every soul. The Creator God came in the person of Jesus Christ and the created of God rejected Him. The Creator came to His own and the created rejected Him. The Creator came to those He created, and the created rejected Him. Even the particular people of God, those of the family Israel, who were called, delivered, and set apart for God, rejected the light of God in the person of Jesus. That is what John is saying here. This true light has come, 
and God who showed His faithfulness in delivering the people Israel, when, when the true light, when the, when the true Israel came, when the one who was sent to save them for eternity came, they rejected the Creator God in the person of Jesus. Not to be too harsh on the people Israel, but you probably all remember a time when you first heard the gospel preached to you or you heard a testimony of someone uh, telling you the testimony of the gospel in the light of Jesus and you rejected it too. The Creator was presented to you and you in the darkness of your heart did not receive Him, did not embrace Him. Well, even these people Israel who God set apart rejected Him. But Jesus is the full revelation of God, and yet created man rejected the Creator's salvation. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. And as Joe and I have talked, almost every message that you deliver will bring you back to Romans chapter 1. <laughs> uh, when you uh, look at humankind in relationship to God, almost every passage will drive you back to the truth of Romans chapter 1, especially as we look here at verses 18 through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been, made, have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. There's not a soul that is in hell that will have a leg to stand on in blaming God for their eternal position. The unregenerated man or woman is without an excuse because God has clearly revealed Himself in creation. And the created have suppressed the truth, the plain truth, in a desire to continue in unrighteousness. You know, you think about looking at at this passage and you think about what John is talking about here, he further emphasizes this in chapter 3, verses 19, doesn't he? In chapter 3, verse uh, 19, he says this, And this is judgment, that light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Because their deeds were evil. Light has come, and I rejected the light because... My heart loves the darkness. And that's what he's saying here. Light has come. The plain truth about Jesus has come. And in the darkness of the human heart, they loved the darkness rather than the light. And they couldn't come to the light without an intervention from God. Their creation has suppressed the plain truth in a desire to continue in its unrighteousness. When Jesus is introduced, though, when light has been revealed, the onus is on the hearer for their rejection. Their futile thinking, their foolish hearts are darkened. Helpless we are when it comes to apprehending the light of Jesus Christ in our own strength. Because the Scriptures clearly teach us this, that no one 
seeks for God? No, not one. So here we have the bad news. But good news is coming. The disciples asked Jesus, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, but God. But God has done what is impossible in sending Jesus. God has made hearts that were darkened and deadened to the light. By His will and through His grace, He has made them alive. He's made them alive to repent of their sin and to believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. This is our message. This is what we proclaim. This is how we introduce Jesus. Jesus is the light and the life of salvation. Jesus is God. Jesus is co-eternal with the Father. Jesus is a relational God as He is in relation with the Father and the Spirit. Jesus is relatable. Jesus is knowable. God is knowable. He has given us His Word in the person of Jesus, and He has given us His written Word that tells us of who He is. This is the message that we proclaim. This is who, how and who we introduce Jesus. Let us look at verses 14 through 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. See, one thing about Jesus is that He makes the Father known. He makes God known. But Jesus knows you. Jesus knows your frailty. Jesus knows your struggle in the flesh. Jesus is God. Jesus is the light that brings salvation to any of us sinners. Jesus is the eternal creator. Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is fully God, and yet He lived as one of us. And the Word became flesh. He is fully God and He is fully human. He is the only one with two natures. By nature, He is God and He has the nature of man. He became the nature of man as God sent Him in the flesh. The Word became flesh. He's fully God. He's fully man. And therefore... Jesus is the only acceptable mediator between sinful Jeff and holy God. He could be the, he's the only acceptable mediator because he is fully God and yet he's fully like me, except without sin. Praise God for that. He is fully pure as the Father is and he's fully human just as we are. Jesus' earthly life displayed the divine power and the revelation of the Father in His personhood. Jesus is our greater than Moses. 
When we look at this passage, and it says here that the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Remember when Moses was face to face with God, he hid. He had to hide his face from holy God. Jesus, greater than Moses, Jesus has revealed the face of God to us. Jesus reveals the face of God to us. Greater than Moses. Moses had to hide and block from the, the face of God and had to be hidden from him. But Jesus reveals him. As we looked at that verse that says, He has made him known. It is Jesus that makes God knowable. To know Jesus is to know God. Jesus makes the unknown God known to us. Jesus has revealed the face of God to us. Now you, as a Christian, you are one who knows God. You are one who knows Him by experience, and you know Him by relationship with Jesus Christ. So then, you, Christian, me, Christian, we have a duty to our family, to our neighbors, to our enemies, even, to make Him known. We have a duty to introduce people to Jesus, to introduce who He is, that He is the co-creator, that He is co-eternal with the Father, that He is a relatable God, that He is knowable, that you can know Him. We need to introduce Jesus to our neighbors, enemies, friends, family. We need to introduce Him. If we ever want to see our neighborhoods change, we want to see our government change. This, I, this has been my conviction of the last few months. If we want to see our nation change, and it is in trouble, we want to see our neighborhoods change. We want to see government change. We want to see society change. We need to introduce our neighbors to Jesus. We need to, we, that's the beginning. Maybe the beginning is you need to introduce your family members to Jesus. Maybe it's there. And then it's your neighbor. And then it's your boss. It's those that we encounter. We have had an encounter with Jesus and we want them to encounter Jesus. Why? Because it is the aim that John says here in the Gospel. Is that they would know Him. And that by knowing Him and by believing in Him, they would have life in His name. You want life to come to your neighborhoods. Tell, introduce them to Jesus. Introduce your neighbor to Jesus. You want life to come into your home. Introduce your kids to Jesus. You want life to come at your workplace. Introduce the people you work with to Jesus. And we have to be sort of like John the Baptist here, right? You introduce people to Jesus and you get the heck out of the way. I am not that light, but it is Him. You notice in the other gospel accounts when, when, when John the Baptist introduces Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who's come to save sinners, right? When he says that, he's gone. This is the guy I've been telling you about. He's here. This is the one. We point people to Jesus and then we get out of the way. We get out of the way. We testify to the light and to the life of Christ through the 
the life that He has given to us, and then we get out of the way. We point people to Jesus, who is the Creator God, who is the knowable God. We point people to Jesus, who is the relational God. We point people to Jesus, the knowable God. We point Jesus to the God who did this, who stepped down from heaven to save sinners like you and like me. We point people to Jesus. That is our aim, and that is the aim of, of, our, of our evangelist here, John. I want to introduce you to Jesus. Not where he came from. Notice where he begins, right? It doesn't begin like the other gospel accounts begin. The other gospel accounts begin by talking about where he was born, his lineage on earth, where he comes. John says, I want you to know him. I want you really to know who He is, that He is God, the co-eternal, pre-existing One, that from the beginning of time, Jesus is God's plan of salvation for you. That's who I want you to know. I want you to know Him, and I want you to know Him experientially because He stepped down from heaven. The Word became flesh, and He lived with us. He lived as one of us. He lived like none of us. And He died for us that we could live new, in a new way. That's how we introduce the Lord Jesus. Let us take a moment of silence and let the Word of God penetrate our hearts. And then we will close in singing together. Father God, I do ask that You have your way in our hearts. I ask, Lord, that if there's one this morning who has received the light, that this morning they recognize that they were now born of God. Not born by the will of the flesh, but born by the will of God, by His Spirit. That they are new, Lord. I just pray that if if there's one that has come to that, that they would confess You as Lord this morning. I pray for us, Lord, that we have seen Jesus afresh, that this morning we are more in love with Him than when we got here, that we have seen Him more clearly, and Lord, that You, by Your grace, have and will continue to enable us to introduce the world to Jesus. He is our only hope. He is the only hope for this sin-sick world. He's the only hope for the dark-hearted neighbors, for our dark-hearted politicians. Jesus is the only hope. Help us, Lord, by Your grace and by Your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.